This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by The Pretty Cult. The Pretty Cult is an apparel brand whose love of tarot, the occult, and of course, all things rock and roll are put into every piece created. All Pretty Cult items are sewn, screen printed, and handmade in the House of Cult in Los Angeles, California, and it's a woman-owned and operated shop. And now, Witchwave listeners can take 15% off their first order with code WITCHWAVE, all one word. So check out theprettycult.com, that's www.theprettycult.com, and use WITCHWAVE for 15% off your first order. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Hello and welcome to the Witch Wave. Well, I was originally planning on starting this first episode of 2021 by saying Happy New Year, but yeah, it is quite a time we're living through and news about the Capitol riot that happened last Wednesday is still evolving minute by minute. And I imagine it will change between the time I'm recording this and the time this episode even airs. In personal news, I also managed to throw my back out last week And I imagine you are also dealing with your own individual stresses on top of the anxiety about what's happening with the U.S. government, the pandemic, and on and on. I know I've talked a lot on the show about how to balance our physical and spiritual well-being with our political engagement, and that balance is going to vary from person to person. But I do implore you, if at all possible, to not check out entirely. It's a time for witnessing and for speaking up and speaking out. I don't know how this is all going to turn out. None of us do. But I do know that we need to do whatever is in our power to dismantle white supremacy and systemic racism and to hold our leaders accountable for their harmful actions or inaction, as the case may be. In order to do that, we need to keep ourselves focused and fortified. Rituals and spells are certainly there for you to partake in if you choose to. 
I'll speak for myself and say that in addition to donating money to help flip the Senate blue, I also lit candles on the evening of that election and offered up my hopes and petitions to spirit. So certainly, whatever positive, protective magic you can offer for this moment is welcome. Just not as a replacement for material action, okay? I know I've talked about this many other times, but it's just important to remind us all that we still have to call our reps and pressure companies to stop funding those in Congress whose deceptions have helped incite this insurrection and so on. Now is not the time for turning away as much as we might wish we could. There's a poem by Mary Oliver that I think expresses this sentiment beautifully, and I feel called to share it with you now. A Dream of Trees There is a thing in me that dreamed of trees, a quiet house, some green and modest acres, a little way from every troubling town a little way from factories, schools, laments. I would have time, I thought, and time to spare, with only streams and birds for company, to build out of my life a few wild stanzas. And then it came to me, that so was death, a little way away from everywhere. There is a thing in me still dreams of trees, but let it go. Homesick for moderation, half the world's artists shrink or fall away. If any find solution, let him tell it. Meanwhile, I bend my heart toward lamentation, whereas the times implore our true involvement the blades of every crisis point the way. I would it were not so, but so it is. Whoever made music of a mild day. I wanted to share this poem because it fortifies me and it also reminds me that there is music and yes, magic to be made even during tumultuous times, especially during tumultuous times. And that we must follow those blades of crisis. And it's interesting, the first time I encountered this poem, I'm realizing now I pictured blades of grass when she has that line, the blades of every crisis point the way. And now I'm picturing sword blades. But either way, we are in crisis right now. And rather than turn away from it or hide from it, it is time for us to make our music and our magic. It's time for us to do whatever is in our power, whatever we have the bandwidth to do, to make sure that we are fighting for truth and justice and freedom and democracy for all but that we can make it beautiful. We can make it 
joyful. We can make it magical. We can use our own gifts to help better this world. And that's a theme that comes up a lot, I know, on this show. But I think it is particularly important for us to all be reminded of that now. And I'm speaking to myself, too. Let's be clear. I also wanted to read that poem because I happen to know that my love of Mary Oliver is shared by my guest today, the wonderful writer and astrologer Gina Cadleck. Gina's work inspires me and also reminds me to stay plugged into spirit and to use my words, my actions, and my witchcraft to stay engaged and stand against oppression. I can't wait for you to hear what she has to say, but first, before we get to that, let's check and see what's come through on The Witch Wire. Who is it? Wishes. Andres writes, and I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. As I sit here reflecting on the difficult year we all had, where illness and death due to the coronavirus affected so many, including close relatives of mine, I am deeply saddened and disappointed to see so many people within the occult and magical community disregard medical research, discredit scientists and epidemiologists, go against mask mandates, express anti-vaxxer statements, or jump into to the Corona is a hoax bandwagon. I highly appreciate how you have always stood for science and for your magical practice without the need of contradicting one or the other, but I see more and more that you seem to be an exception within the occult community. From alchemists and herbalists I admire, to famous occult authors that have been so important to my magical discovery... They have repeatedly made irresponsible statements about the current pandemic, and I am having a hard time reconciling being part of this community while still being a reasonably sound person that believes in science and cares for other beings. I have approached several people and confronted these irresponsible ideas, and they just dismiss my concerns by telling me I am being manipulated by the media and the scientists that have been wrong more often than not throughout human history. Have you also been confronted with this? Can you express your opinion on why these sentiments are so prevalent in the occult community? I would appreciate your thoughts on how to navigate this situation and a possible way forward, considering that this has all brought to light issues that cannot be ignored in a post-pandemic world. Thank you for always offering light and wisdom to your listeners. Hi, Andres. I really appreciate this question, and it is one that I've been asked a lot lately. And I've said it before on Twitter and on this podcast, but I think it really does bear repeating. Science and spirituality are not in opposition. There are many scientific people whose spiritual practices have made them even more open to the wonders of nature and to seeing how truly interconnected all beings are. Likewise, there are many witches like me who take medicine when we need to and hopefully also vaccines. 
There is currently a witches wear masks hashtag going around on Twitter that I took part in because it's important for spiritual folks to know that listening to scientists and epidemiologists and medical specialists is important, especially right now in this pandemic. And they have been telling us that wearing masks, washing our hands, and social distancing are the primary ways that we can all keep this virus from spreading. And I am happy to go on record and say that when the vaccine is available to myself and to Matt, we are absolutely planning on taking it. And we're encouraging our parents to take it when it becomes available to them, hopefully sooner rather than later. Now, as many of you know, I myself also engage in what is called alternative medicine and believe that spiritual and emotional wellness are big components of physical wellness. I've studied herbalism and meditation, and I believe in different forms of energy work and all kinds of what I will call subtle sciences. But I'm a both and kind of witch a holistic, integrated witch, if you will. And I believe that a blended approach of spirituality and science is the most effective way for us to stay healthy. So let me state that I don't believe that casting a spell or using a crystal or engaging in positive thinking alone will fix this pandemic or keep people well. Please do those things if you'd like to, sure, but do them in collaboration with science. Now, in terms of your seeing anti-science sentiments in the occult community specifically, I'm guessing that's because a lot of folks who are drawn to quote-unquote alternative ways of thinking see themselves as questioners and seekers, and that at some point they have been turned off by conformist thinking. And I understand that, I do, and to some degree I can relate to it. It's really important to question, to think critically, and to come to one's own conclusions. But the shadow side of that is, as we've seen, that if you go around distrusting everyone and everything, you then find yourself in a world of conspiracy theories and deep paranoia. And that's a whole other fantasy world, right? And I don't think I have to say too much more about the dangers of conspiracy theories and deep paranoia after the events of the past week. So let me be clear about what I think witchcraft can and can't do. I think that it can fortify us and make us feel more connected to spirit, nature, and one another. It can help us focus and direct our energy and our intentions toward things we care about. It can help us operate from our highest, most loving selves. It can change us and thereby change the world. But it cannot break the laws of science, which is why we're not going around turning people into toads, much as we might like to sometimes. 
It's why we can't just do a money spell and then sit back and expect our bank accounts to be miraculously filled without doing any work. And it's why, much as I wish it could, saying some magic words or solely relying on the powers of our minds will not make this pandemic go away. Now, in terms of these magical folks that you admire who are spreading anti-science messages, I know that it's heartbreaking when people whose work means a lot to us end up having some terrible ideas or doing terrible things. And look, we're seeing this across the board. And there have been lots of debates that have been going on over the past few years about whether or not we can or should separate the message from the messenger, the creator from the creation. <coughs> Harry Potter. <coughs> And different people are going to have lots of different opinions on this. For now, I can only say that I personally don't believe that being let down by the human fallibility of one of your heroes means that you have to entirely reject the work they made that meant something to you. You just might want to reconsider supporting them now if they continue to spread harmful ideas. But honestly, that's really up to you. But I promise you, there are lots of other people out there who, like you and like me, do believe in integrating the magical and the medical. So I would suggest also looking for those people and trying to add more of those voices into your field of attention so that you can continue to be strengthened and inspired yourself. Thank you for your question, and I hope that you stay well on all levels. Now on to my guest. Gina Cadlick is a writer and astrologer whose work has been seen in such places as O Magazine, Allure, and Autostraddle. She's a culture columnist at Long Reads and the author of the forthcoming memoir, Heretic, which I can't wait to read. She is also the former content director for astrologer Channy Nicholas. Gina describes herself as a native Midwesterner, ex-evangelical, recovering academic, and she is the founder of the now-closed Blue Stockings Boutique, the first-ever lingerie boutique geared to the LGBTQ plus community. I absolutely adore her newsletter, Astrology for Writers, and I adore her, and I am so thrilled to share our conversation about radical astrology, writing, and revolution here with you now. One quick note, this interview was recorded on the morning of January 6th, and so the Capitol riot hadn't happened yet, and the Senate was looking like it was about to be blue, but it hadn't yet been confirmed. Given that timing, I can honestly say that it's pretty remarkable hearing Gina speak about what we can expect in 2021, and you'll hear what I mean by that. Gina joined me from her home in Brooklyn via Zoom. 
Gina Cadlick. Welcome to The Witch Wave. I am so excited to be here, Pam. I'm so thrilled to have you. Thank you so much. My first guest of 2021. Happy New Year. Happy fucking New Year. (laughs) Exactly. Happy motherfucking New Year. Oh, Gina, Gina. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, one of the many reasons, is that you are an astrology expert and... As I was dreaming of who my guest should be to kick off this year, I was like, I want to talk to someone who has fabulous energy, who's brilliant, and who can give us maybe a little bit of guidance for how this year is going to go and hopefully some optimism. Um, Is that something you can provide? Is 2021 looking optimistic from a stellar standpoint? I think that this year is going to be... Well, it's going to be different. (laughs) I can say it'll be different. I don't know that optimism is quite where I'm willing to lean, but we are walking away from, or I should say we're moving away from a Saturn-Pluto year and really into a Saturn-Uranus year where the defining astrology is a lot of Saturn-Uranus energy, which I would love to talk to you about. And it's going to be different. And I think we're in for a lot of surprises and a lot of upheaval and a little revolution. Ugh. You know what? Different sounds great to me. And I know careful what you wish for or careful what you witch for, but mm. different really sounds like what the goddess ordered. So I'm thrilled with that. So tell us, tell us about the Uranus energy. Yeah. So I'll start by framing a little of 2020. And I know that 2020 is a year that most, if not all of us would probably love to just throw in the trash can and never look at again. Mm. But when I mention it being a Saturn Pluto year, and those of you who are astrology folks in the crowd probably know exactly what I'm talking about. The year started with a Saturn Pluto conjunction. So Saturn, our big daddy in the sky, our dyke daddy in the sky, (laughs) as it were, we don't have to get all like heteronormative and gendered about this. (laughs) But the daddy taskmaster of restriction, I love Saturn, okay? But when Saturn is touched by Pluto, everything intensifies. Richard Turnus calls Saturn-Pluto alignments radical conservatism. So when astrologers were looking at 2020 and seeing that Saturn-Pluto conjunction literally kick off the year, it's like, okay, totalitarian energy, big conservative movements, like that's what Saturn-Pluto years are known for. The last time Saturn-Pluto shit happened in the sky, we had 9-11, right? So world-defining, world-changing stuff around security, around safety happening in Capricorn this year. Government was going to be a big thing. Obviously, we saw that. Mm -hmm. Pandemics are also something associated with Saturn-Pluto. HIV AIDS in the 80s was something that came out under the Saturn-Pluto alignment of the early 1980s, which was incidentally also totalitarian, right? Mm -hmm. Reagan, we had the final gasps of the Soviet Union. So I just say not to give a history lesson here, but this is simply to say that that's the energy of last year, which now that it's in hindsight, we are all nodding collectively going, yeah, (laughs) that is really a lot of what we experienced. Mm -hmm. However, 2021, of course, we all experienced collectively the great conjunction in December of 2020, which was this beautiful moment of Saturn and Jupiter. So if Saturn's our dyke daddy taskmaster, Jupiter is like 
great healing teacher, wisdom, beautiful, big, gaseous energy, having a great meetup in the sky in the sign of Aquarius, which is also about systems, but also about intellectualizing that and how do we get to understand the system so we can disrupt it. Mm. So 2021, Saturn is in Aquarius, not in Capricorn, still a sign that it rules, but a little bit more of an edgy energy. And this year, Saturn is going to be making three exact squares to Uranus, which has a reputation for being the planet of rebellion, of revolution. When Saturn and Uranus meet up, things happen like the French Revolution, like the Cultural Revolution Mm -hmm. in China Mm -hmm. more recently. So it's this tension between order and freedom. It's this tension between wanting security and wanting to fuck the system. We got a little preview of this actually mid-year in 2020 because Saturn took a little wee dip into Aquarius around May, June, July. And Pam, you and I both live in New York. And here the city was alight with revolution, Mm -hmm. was alight with protest. Yep. I was in the streets with my now girlfriend and I am fully anticipating a return to that state of energy with Saturn Uranus this year. Biden may have been elected. And at this point, actually at this moment, this morning that we're recording this, Georgia may or may not have flipped the Senate. We aren't sure. Well, it's looking positive. I don't I don't want to jinx anything, but everything that I'm reading, and we should I don't usually like timestamp this conversation, mm. but like we are talking at 1148 in the morning on Wednesday. I, I also have to say, Gina, I'm a very proud Aquarius. And so oh. you talking about Uranus energy, I'm like beaming over here with a lot of pride. So I love it. I love it. And Saturn and Uranus, depending on the astrological tradition you work with, in traditional astrology, which is more my bailiwick, Saturn rules Aquarius. But in modern astrology, Uranus rules Aquarius. So, you know, either way, you've got a lot of really like glorious stuff for Aquarians this year. And of course, like as an Aquarius, the great conjunction happening in the sign, it's a lot of good things for Aquarius folk this year. I am an Aquarius rising, so I feel you. Oh, I there feel you, you go. on that fight. <laughs> So what were you going to say, Gina, about, you know, that revolutionary energy and with the Senate potentially turning blue or at least will be blue with uh, our VP getting to cast her tiebreaker vote? Where I was going with that was even with Biden, to me, Saturn and Uranus being in these exact squares this year. And they will still be squaring each other by sign for a few years. But this year is the height of it because they're going to like really be in exact friction, exactly Mm. hitting each other on the nose this year. And then we get a little more wiggle room in the years to come. But I think it's still very much people in the streets. It's still, okay, so the people who we elected to change things are in power, but are they actually going to change things? To me, it's such an energy of accountability and of really highlighting how the system itself is what is broken. Mm-hmm. My, my politics are what they are. I'm, I'm very no bullshit about that. Same, same. But yeah, the system is broken. Putting different people into the system doesn't necessarily fix it. And I think that Saturn Uranus is going to highlight that. It's just going to put a big old spotlight 
on that this year. Amazing. Well, you know, if there's anything, and I'll just speak from a personal standpoint that I've learned from the last, uh, certainly the last four years, but if we're looking also back at the Obama years, it's that complacency is complicity. Mm. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people who share what I assume are your and my shared politics talking about like, oh, I can't wait for things to go back to normal. I can't wait till I can stop paying attention to all of the news cycle and all of this. And I'm like, you cannot stop paying attention ever. That's the whole fucking point. You know, I love that you use that word accountability because we all are accountable for the energy that we put into the world, the ways in which we are applying our resources, whether that's time, money, energy, our words, our work, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think that's a really great reminder for people that certainly I hope it doesn't feel like, whiplash. I think we all have PTSD or many of us have PTSD from the last four years Mm because the news has been relentlessly brutal and heartbreaking. And yet I don't think it means, okay, great, you know, the good guys won. And so we can all turn off the television. It's like, heck no, we have so much work to do and we have to keep the people we've elected accountable. Even if we think we agree with their politics too, we absolutely have to push them. Yes, absolutely. I could not agree more. And part of where I find astrology to be really helpful with this is because to me, astrology is first and foremost, a mindfulness practice. And it is a practice of paying attention and of staying tuned in and plugged in to the world around me and to what's happening energetically, not only for myself, but really for the collective. And so it's a refusal to check out. It's a refusal to be disengaged from the impacts of my actions, but also the impacts of other people's actions on that collective level. And so when I talk about what I think the year might be bringing, it's not necessarily because I'm into making predictions, right? Mm -hmm. But it's because I'm really deeply invested in that practice of paying attention and in, in calibrating accordingly and in really trying to invest as much what I consider to be good into the world around me and into the people around me. So absolutely. So let's talk about kind of astrology as a tool. Mm -hmm. Why do you think, first of all, that it has become so popular? I mean, it truly, truly, I read my horoscope when I was little. It's not like, and, and this is a thousands of year old practice, right? So it's not new, of course, by any stretch of the imagination, but there really does seem to be more of at least a mass interest in it right now. So I'm wondering what you make of that. And also, like, how can you guide people towards positive astrology versus toxic astrology, which Mm. I sometimes see a bit of when I'm scrolling through my feeds? Oh, same. I'll break it into the two parts. The first you ask is the, you know, why the popularity? And my answer, once again, is a little bit historical. And I do think that what we're seeing now is the natural outgrowth, not only, of course, of the accessibility and democratizing that is the internet Mm -hmm. that has made so many practices and especially so many 
esoteric and also just otherwise marginalized practices and just non-mainstream practices have become readily and easily available with a Google search. You know, stuff is on your Tumblr feed or a few years ago, that was the case or on Twitter or wherever. And it becomes less stigmatized, right? Because exactly. you might be like kind of secretly into witchcraft or astrology and maybe people teased you for it or they didn't take you seriously or you were afraid of that. But now it's like, oh, there's many more of us. So let's find each other and share. Yeah, there are fewer obstacles in your way in Mm. terms of getting the information. It's not like you have to go to the library. It's not like you have to have a college ID to, you know, go check out research books about a topic. It's not like you have to live in the right city or in a big city or know the right people, like where you might have access to folks who are interested in this. Sure. There are just fewer barriers to entry for all of it. And so that's incredibly helpful. But from a broader scope, and I know that you know this, but Sun's horoscopes themselves are incredibly new within astrological tradition. They're new within the last, I want to say 100 to 120 years. I forget the exact date, Mm. but the first sun sign horoscopes did not appear until the early 1900s. And they were in response to the birth of a member of the Royal family, I believe the British Royal family. And then this was a newspaper column that originated, but sun sign horoscopes themselves, incredibly new. So Before sun sign horoscopes were popular, was it a different kind of horoscope that people were getting or were horoscopes not even quite a thing? Can you can you just expand on that a little bit? Absolutely. So my primary training, I'm trained in both modern and traditional. And my by traditional, I mean, my training is mostly within Hellenistic, which is largely Greek tradition sure. and that area of the world. Ancient like Mesopotamia has a really rich tradition during the medieval period. Different Arabic countries really picked up and developed so much astrology when Christianity was shutting it out. Various Jewish traditions have really rich astrological traditions co-present with their faith. Yeah. Obviously, like sidereal is an entirely different practice out of India. There's so many different traditions within the world that you could be a part of. So I just want to frame like where I'm coming from and where my, when I say ancient, like specifically the ancient practice that I'm specifically citing and and discussing. So within that Greco-Roman ancient world, horoscopes were cast for largely royalty at the time, maybe nobility, but mostly royalty. And they were cast for events. So what we would nowadays call horary, which are predicting events, Mm -hmm. electional, um, which are finding an auspicious date for something. That was mostly what astrology was used for in its initial time in in its birth, you could say. Sure, sure. I wish I, (laughs) my Hellenistic astrology textbook, basically, that's written by Chris Brennan, and then another really wonderful ancient astrology textbook written by Demetra George, who are two of the people who have done so much work to recover a lot of this like old tradition are over on my bookshelf. I'm like, oh, I should have pulled these before our conversation. Not at all. This is not meant to be like a pop quiz for you. And you're already giving me an abundance of information. So... Pam, you know me. I'm an ex-academic. I spent years in a PhD program. Like part of what I love about astrology and what gets me so into it is the richness of the tradition and is the vast amount of research that I can do with it. So, but there is essentially a time gap and I don't know the exact gap, whether it's hundreds of years or how long it is. So I'm not going to commit to it 
on the pod, but there is a gap in time between it being used to cast charts for predictive events, as opposed to when we start to see the first horoscopes coming out BC. And those horoscopes are, again, for members of the royal family. Like it's not, <laughs> you know, yeah. and they're not like horoscopes, right? They're just birth charts and not even the kinds of written interpretations we would say today. Mm-hmm. They're just the charts themselves with really detailed you know, descriptions of where the planets were in the sky. And this is something that I really enjoy learning about is how much astrology developed as a practice alongside astronomy. For thousands of years, those two practices were one and the same. And some of the most like reliable and accurate ancient texts we have on astronomy written by Ptolemy, who was out of ancient Egypt, tracking the initial, you know, transits through the sky, like the earliest accurate tracking of planets, like that Saturn takes 29.5 years to return to a position that comes from people who also practiced astrology. Incidentally, it took years and years and years for those two practices to split off from each other. Yep. And I think that's just an interesting and important point to emphasize in general is that now we kind of bifurcate between like science and spirituality or, Mm -hmm. you know, magic and more empirical data kind of collection. But traditionally speaking, or at least historically speaking, there's been such a blur between all of those different practices. And it's only pretty recent that we've split them up. And I, I think it's beautiful that there are people like yourself who honor integrating, kind of dissolving that binary, if you will. Yeah, it's the noticing that it's happening and then just simply following it up with the, why is that happening? And that's something that they did many, many years ago. And now, of course, we do know a lot more (laughs) about what's happening in the sky, but I'm still really interested in those in asking that follow-up question and the integration of it. Exactly. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Look, it's hard enough grappling with our own emotions under ordinary circumstances, but even more so when the world is going through massive collective challenges. I am so grateful for my therapist, and even though I've done sessions in person for years, I've been pretty amazed at how effective online therapy has been for me right now. And so I can heartily recommend BetterHelp, an online counseling service which can provide you with your own licensed professional therapist to talk to via video or phone sessions. So if you have anxiety issues like I do, or are dealing with depression, stress, trauma, grief, or even just day-to-day struggles with your relationships or your family, or just feeling like you're not meeting your personal goals right now, which, let's be honest, has been very difficult for most of us these days, I really encourage you to reach out to the folks at BetterHelp. They will connect you with a counselor that you can start chatting with in under 24 hours. 
Now, a few things I really appreciate about BetterHelp is that it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. Plus, they offer financial aid to those who qualify, and they make it super easy to change counselors so you can find one that you really click with. Best of all, Witch Wave listeners, that's you. Get 10% off your first month of counseling by going to betterhelp.com slash witchwave. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash witchwave. I believe that all human beings can benefit from therapy. I certainly have myself, and I'm so glad that it's becoming more accepted and more accessible to do so. So please pop over to betterhelp.com slash witchwave and find a great counselor to talk to. BetterHelp is confidential, convenient care, and you, my friend, deserve that. Welcome back to the Witch Wave. Today, I'm speaking with Gina Cadlick. So Gina, you just gave us such a juicy history lesson. Thank you so much for that. But I do want to just follow up and talk about these because there is such a plethora of astrology that is now available. And some of it I see I think is so positive and helpful. And then there is this thread that I see that's pretty toxic, that's a little bit smug, a little judgy, a little rigid. I don't know. And that's just me being judgmental too. I totally own that. But I'd love to hear you maybe tell our listeners how they can choose the astrologers that resonate with them the best and that will have a positive effect on their lives instead of making them feel, you know, fearful or judged or, you know, anything negative about themselves or about life in general. Absolutely. First off, I do agree with you, Pam. I will say if someone is inspiring fear in you and not just in astrology, but just in your life, if someone or something is inspiring fear, probably a good sign to move away from that thing. Mm. Your gut knows the difference between fear that's like the inspirational fear, right? The fear that's the fear of the fool card in tarot. It's like, oh, like <laughs> I'm on the precipice of something really exciting and I'm a little bit scared, but I'm going to jump anyway. Yes. There's that kind of like you know, healthy fear, if you will. And I, I hesitate to use the word healthy, but you know what I mean? Yes. Productive. There's the productive survival part of your brain that doesn't know how to honor creativity. And so anytime you do something outside of the bounds of it, it, it freaks out. I'm sure I don't know what you mean. I never have anxiety or fear, Gina. Oh, I absolutely don't either. Um, but then there's the other kind of fear. And I unfortunately think it's just so deeply common in our culture. And it's so fed by social media. And I will say as someone who has worked in marketing at startups for years, it is deeply, deeply integrated into marketing culture. And a lot of the astrology that I see in memes and a lot of the astrology that I see that is bluntly like being marketed to folks because it's, you know, it's having a moment really feeds on a lot of marketing principles, you know, that I have since left behind in the New York City tech startup scene. But it's so designed to elicit an immediate 
response. It's clickbait, right? It's clickbait. And it's designed to elicit that fear, anger, like motivational response. You don't, because negative emotions in marketing inspire a much more powerful reaction than positive ones, number one. And number two, fear and anger are stronger motivators than sadness. So when you talk about these astrology, whether they're individual practitioners or whether they're meme accounts or, you know, insert whatever here, when you talk about them inspiring fear or anger, Pam, they are (laughs) directly, indirectly, purposefully, probably purposefully, let's be honest, tapping into that because they know that it works Mm -hmm. and because whether or not they have experience at a marketing firm, they have learned that that is what will get them clicks. That is what will get them revenue. That is what will get them followers. But if that is the primary emotion that you're experiencing, when you look at that feed for the love of all things, holy, let that one go. Yes. I also think it really flattens astrology, especially when, you know, and and I'm not an expert by any means, but I have learned a lot more about it over the last few years and how our birth charts are so complex. So even these snarky memes that I see where it's like, oh my God, Geminis are the fucking worst or whatever. It's like, I don't know. I just think a it's rude. I have a sense of humor. I do. But like, I'm like, but I love a lot of Gemini's, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But it's also like kind of stupid, right? Because you can meet a Gemini and maybe you think you have friction with that sun sign, but you don't know what's going on in the rest of their chart or the rest of yeah. your chart that might make you like super best friends, right? Yeah. So I will say I do follow. There are several meme accounts that I do follow because I find them funny and I have no problem with that. I have some friends who are astrologers who are deeply offended by all memes and that is their right. Personally, I think it's hilarious. And let me clarify, I will laugh (laughs) at a lot of them. I enjoy a lot of them. I'm more talking about people who like will actually be like, I will never, ever date this sign or, you know, like I just find it reductive. What I hear you saying and what I absolutely agree with is that meme accounts exist for humor. And if people are trying to learn about astrology, I truly cannot stress enough that meme accounts are not the thing to follow. (laughs) Um, Even I, I see some friends who are into astrology who will sometimes be, you know, a little upset because they're like, this meme is reducing my sign to this. And I'm like, it's, it's a punchline. Yep. The meme is a punchline. And of course they're doing that. That's not written by an astrologer, number one. And number two, they're doing it for laughs and they're doing it for likes and, you know, take it in good fun. If you want to read something that is holistic and that is educational about your sign, go follow someone who is actually an astrologer. Yeah. <laughs> to which point you asked about where to find stuff that is more holistic and that is more integrated and people who are more reputable. I would number one, just go to the, and this is obviously you can't, I can't really say go to a bookstore right now because we are in a pandemic still. But if you do look for astrology books online at indie bookstores on Amazon, even as hesitant as I am to recommend them, but sometimes with really esoteric books, it's hard to find them stocked. Mm. Look at people who have actually have had books within the last 10 years. <laughs> I even have written an article for Oprah magazine, like about what astrology books to start with, if you're interested. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. It's really hard because 
followers are not necessarily indicative of someone's expertise or expertise. Like mm-hmm. they could just be really funny on a platform that, and that might be why all of that is happening. Mm-hmm. But I really just strongly recommend reading a lot of different people following a bunch of different people and then seeing who resonates with you. Also seeing who they follow. This is again, the academic in me, but like read the bibliographies, see which on Twitter, for example, means looking at who the astrologers who you follow, what astrologers do they follow and what astrologers do they follow? Where are the networks? Cause that isn't just who they're friends with. That's who they respect That's who, like, whose podcasts they're going on, whose books they're blurbing. See what communities the people who you are into are a part of. And if you're following an astrologer who doesn't seem to be part of a community, that might be a red flag. Absolutely. Yeah, that would be my my take. That's super helpful. I'm so glad you brought up books because not only are you an astrologer, you're also a wonderful writer. You have your own book coming out, I believe, next year. Is that right? I do. I do. I am so excited and also so terrified. Speaking of fear. (laughs) (laughs) I I totally understand. And off mic, we can talk about book fear any old time because you know, I can relate to that. But um, I'm, I'm so excited for you. And one of the reasons that I'm so attracted to your work is you do a lot of astrology specifically for writers. You have an incredible newsletter that I am a subscriber to which I highly recommend called Astrology for Writers. You have a workshop coming out soon called Astrology for Writers, how to make your writing work for you. So can you share a little bit about how you've come to blend together your vocation as an astrologer and as a writer and what other writers and creatives can learn from astrology? Yeah, it took a really long time, Pam. It took a long time. And I love that we're talking about this because we've known each other for a while and you knew me way before any of this was happening. So I I appreciate you as as a witness to this journey. And I'm so overjoyed for you because when we first met, you you had a day job still. I can't remember if I still had my day job or maybe I had just pivoted away from it. I cannot recall, but yeah, it's always exciting to see people and it's not for everybody and I'm not advocating that it should be, but it is always exciting to witness people like fully lean into their magical vocations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's been such a process because when we first met, I still had my day job in the tech world and was still doing that, all that tech marketing, all that stuff, mm-hmm. <laughs> like very soul sucking. This is a helpful frame actually for like when we met and when we were on that a culture panel, I think that Haley Hausman was running at the Alchemist Kitchen in the East Village a few years back. Yes. Shouts to Haley. Shout out to Haley, like my work wife forever. Love her so much. <laughs> that was at a point in time where I had started basically saying yes to astrology because every time it came knocking, there was a huge opportunity with it. And it just was the thing in my life that I was so interested in and it would not shut up. And I didn't understand how to make it work though. I was like, I have it set up. I have it figured out. My life in New York is very clear to me. My day job that pays my bills is in tech. 
And then I also, I'm a freelance writer and I'll have a book someday. That's the thing. Like astrology, why is this coming? I read tarot for myself. I'm ex-evangelical, like have a very old and storied lineage with the very conservative evangelical church. So spirituality is very much a part of my life, but astrology was just coming in like this huge, you know, Kool-Aid man, like storming through my wall, being like, pay attention to me. And I was not ready for it and was very unclear on how it integrated into the rest of my life. Mm. And so I kept kind of pushing it away and really trying to just be really careful and slow with how I integrated it. But I would tweet about it all the time. And because I was writing and had a lot of stuff online, I had editors be like, oh my God, you love astrology. You should write horoscopes for us. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely panicked because I was like, I am not trained. I haven't studied with anyone. I'm self-taught at the time. So I went out to a teacher who was Rebecca Gordon, who's a wonderful astrologer here in New York. And I studied with Rebecca. And after that, I felt a lot more confident in getting paid for my astrological writing. And then shortly after that, astrology basically became my day job. Because for most of 2019 and into 2020, I worked at Sanctuary, which is an astrology app as their head astrologer and content lead. And it was this weird triangulation of the writing and the astrology and the marketing background all really coming into fusion together. And then in early 2020, Chani Nicholas asked me to come work for her as her director of content. And I've recently left that job, which was so, so wonderful. But my work there was largely dedicated to the Chani app and to launching that and getting all of that content ready. And so astrology came in, in this just really powerful way, like in a way that showed me that it can all actually work in a very integrated way in my life. Sorry, that was deeply incoherent, but (laughs) that's really helpful actually. And were you also using astrology to navigate your own pitching, whether you were pitching articles, were you using astrology in your own life to navigate these career changes? Like, were you walking the walk, so to speak? Oh yeah, absolutely. I was. And I tend to do a lot around new moons. Same. I love a new moon. Yeah. I do a lot around new moons, less around full moons. I'm a big proponent of just doing what works for you. You know, the sky is always there. Do what (laughs) feels good when you can, but I'm a new moon baby and I love a good new new moon ritual. And, you know, and sometimes I'm really particular with the timing of when I send things out. I love working with electional astrology and sometimes I'm not. What is that phrase you just used? Electional astrology? Ah, yes. So electional is the timing of things. So it's finding an auspicious time to launch something or to send something out like a newsletter. It can be very mundane and small, but So when people are like, oh, it's Mercury retrograde, so I'm not going to sign any contracts. That's an example of electional astrology. It is. Hilariously, I have signed so many contracts during Mercury retrograde. I actually don't think that it's necessarily a bad thing to do things during Mercury retrograde. To me, that's the Mercury retrogrades are just a really dot your I's, cross your T's, make sure that everything is good to go. Like read it five times. 
I love that. And I think people are going to be so relieved to hear you say that because I can't tell you how many times people in my life have like panicked that they were going to close on a apartment or something. And then yeah. they're like, oh, crap, look at the timing. And I'm like, you know, it's probably going to be fine. Just be a little extra careful. Yeah. I mean, Mercury has three retrogrades a year and they are roughly three weeks ish, give or take each. So if you like are committed to not doing anything important during that, you're ta- you're basically taking yourself out of the game for nine weeks a year. Yep. That's a lot. <laughs> exactly. And we're busy people, aren't we, Gina? Yeah, we are. <laughs> you don't like you don't have time for that. Oh my <laughs> close on your house, sign the contract. It's honestly fine. Like love that. Love that. On that note, we're gonna take another quick break and we'll be right back. I absolutely adore Zoo's incense. Zoo's Incense is a handmade, hand-rolled, all-natural product. All of their ingredients are organic or wild-crafted, which means they're made with whole plants, seeds, roots, woods, tree resins, and tinctures. Zoo's has nine blends currently available, and they are so magical. And I am so thrilled that I have collaborated with them to create the Witch Wave Blend, which is inspired by Artemis. It contains sandalwood, orris root, myrrh, black storax, mugwort, ambret seed tincture, and organic ylang-ylang essential oil. And you can find that special exclusive Witch Wave Blend over on the Witch Wave website in our shop by going to witchwavepodcast.com shop. So do check out the Witch Wave Incense Blend from Zoos. In addition to all of that, Zoos is now offering incense making kits for your own incense crafting experiments at home. You can look for exclusive new incense crafting supplies on the Zoos website alongside their other hand cast concrete burners, charcoal, raw aromatics like frankincense and myrrh, and other incense supplies. You can find all of that over on the Zoos website, which is zoosincense.com that's z-o-u-z incense.com and you can get free shipping on orders over $22 by using code witchwave so just to repeat all of this juicy information you can find the witchwave exclusive incense blend over on the witchwave website at witchwavepodcast.com slash shop and you can also get all of those other wonderful incense goodies at zoosincense.com and get free shipping on orders over $22 by using promo code WITCHWAVE. That's zoosincense.com, promo code WITCHWAVE. Thank you, Zoos. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today, I'm speaking to Gina Cadlick. So Gina, you started giving us a little bit of your autobiography. I know that your book that is coming out next year is called Heretic. And your twists and turns of your life are so fascinating to me. I would love for you to share with our listeners just a little bit of the arc of your life. And if you could punctuate it with some astrological insights, that's always welcome as well. So how did this all happen for you, my friend? Such a big question, Pam. I know. <laughs> and I, 
I love that you ask about it with the, with the astrological twist. Also to set it up with my own astrology, which I alluded to earlier, I am a Capricorn sun, moon, and an Aquarius rising. So very Saturn ruled person came into the world's very serious, probably needed a little bit more playfulness encouraged in my early life, Mm. which did not happen because I was born into a pretty conservative working class family in the small town Midwest, grew up very evangelical and deeply in the church. Mm -hmm. And I was a very devout child. So my upbringing wasn't just that I got dragged to church and got, you know, traumatized and exposed to it by my family. I was very devout. I was a very spiritual child. I was all in. You're a believer. I was a hardcore believer. And for folks who are astrologically savvy, who are nodding along, they're going, all of those 12th house placements, yes, you were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you were absolutely all in. And so that was the really guiding principle of my life and my identity for my growing up into my early 20s. I did go to a liberal arts college where I met my husband and then went to grad school. We moved to Boston, was in an English PhD program. And as someone with a lot of Capricorn placements, Pluto moved into Capricorn in the you know mid 2000s and Pluto started activating a lot of those planets and Pluto is intensity it's transformation it will unearth the very heart of you and Pluto was basically exactly on my Neptune for pretty much the entirety of the year that I started coming out so I was 24 25 evangelical, married to a man, married to a man, you know, deeply Christian and realizing that I was extremely gay in a, an identity and a worldview where that was extremely not welcome Mm. and undergoing, I did not know it at the time and undergoing this incredibly intense Pluto transit and Pluto had already gone over my son at that point as well. And so those years were just a total shedding and a total, uh, everyone wants the butterfly, right? Mm. But nobody wants to go through the process of the cocoon and cocoon is a catastrophe. The cocoon is, it rips you apart from the inside out. And breaking out of that cocoon, it's like gooey and visceral and messy and things break and fall away. Yeah. And that was my life. So I came out, I left the church, got divorced, obviously. And I did all of that by the time I was 25. And it was messy, to put it mildly, and deeply painful. And my entire identity just like went underwent a massive reconstruction from the inside out. And the person I am today is, I mean, obviously, we are all very different people, right? You know, year in, year out, people change. Sure. But I am profoundly different now. That's a different life. It really does feel like it was a psychic death. And that is Pluto for you. If you have had Pluto transits, you know, it will, it will get, it, you are not unchanged at the end of that. Wow. Um, so yeah, so that was my mid twenties basically. Oh and my after, goodness. Yeah. And after this, when did you move to New York and start dating women? Was that kind of immediate or was it a more 
gradual process? It was more gradual for a few years there. I still lived in Boston. It took me a while to eventually leave my graduate program. I did start dating women in Boston and eventually the woman who was my partner at the time, we moved to New York together, which is something I would never have done alone. And I'm so grateful that we did that. And Mm -hmm. it was just such a, like (laughs) such an impulsive decision that the two of us made, but I, I've been in New York for five years now, actually. We moved on January 1st, 2016. And I am so grateful that we did because this city, I've undergone so many changes in this city. I finished up my Saturn return in this city and have grown so much as a writer here. And I'm deeply, deeply glad to be here. I have no intention of ever leaving. Oh, amazing. (laughs) I am beaming listening to you talk about this. Happy anniversary. A New York (laughs) anniversary is an important thing in a New Yorker's life. So that's really, really beautiful. What a great milestone. Gina, when we first met, I remember that you were also doing a lingerie business. And I would be remiss if I did not ask you about how that all worked. And was there some Venus energy around that? Or am I being too literal? Pam, you are so sharp. You are so fucking sharp. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. So what I what I am also impulsively did, I will say the Saturn return helped me with kind of reining in the impulsivity. Within the year of me life catastrophizing and starting to date women and being like, maybe I should leave grad school. I really wanted a purpose in leaving grad school. At the time, because anyone who's been to grad school knows that it's so vocationally driven. It's like, this is my life's calling. Also, I was at the time just leaving the church. And of course, Christianity is also so much about your life's calling and God's calling on your life. And I should have been about just a job that was going to help me get money and get out of debt. I should have been about that life. I was not. Mm. So I wanted to find work that was going to be very meaningful and purposeful. And I came up with the idea for a lingerie boutique that was geared to the LGBT community. And so I started Blue Stockings when I was still in Boston. And it was an e-commerce business. So I did keep it up when I moved to New York. And I ran it for about four years before closing. And I learned so much doing it and was so grateful for it. It did run me into more debt. So again, Mm -hmm. those vocational and, you know, purpose-driven businesses, they can really go either way. But I do have Venus in my first house and Venus in Aquarius, which is very funky and very non-normative and wants to help people embrace themselves for who they are. So Venus in the first in a unusual sign is very lingerie for non-normative folks. Amazing. And I remember seeing the imagery when you were doing the business and it was also very body positive, which I appreciate so much. It was really radical. Yeah. So I'm, I'm so glad that you did that and it absolutely inspired me. So I'm grateful for it. Thank you. Yeah, it was doing a lot of stuff that is now being done by pretty mainstream brands. And so it was a little ahead of the curve. But I'm really grateful, honestly, that a lot of the stuff that I was doing then is now mainstream. Like, I'm glad that everyday companies are just putting LGBT folks 
and plus size folks and trans folks in underwear. Like, I'm glad that that is something that you're seeing from like the me undies of the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, when I kind of look at your life, just from a narrative arc perspective or a thematic perspective, so much of what you have done is about like, this is going to be a very marble mouthed word, but it's like the detabooification of so many things that are taboo, you know, whether it's you write so beautifully and boldly about queerness, you are an astrologer, for goodness sake, you've done this work around body positivity and sexuality. Just with our last minute or two here, is there something in your chart that would have predicted that overall? Or is there something that's telling you where you're going with that? I mean, I would love to see you get even weirder and louder, (laughs) if you will. (laughs) I love that question, Pam. And I absolutely also want to get weirder and louder. I don't know that the stuff in the chart predicts it so much, but the energy is definitely there for that setup. I have, you know, an Aquarius rising and we've talked about really how Aquarius can be really intellectually weird and visionaries, visionary and very fuck the system. And anyone with an Aquarius rising also has a Scorpio 10th house, which is the very top of your chart. It's the most public point of your chart. And when you have a Scorpio 10th house, how you are seen in public has Scorpio themes to it. And Scorpio themes are around transformation. It's around rot and decay and like helping people move through those spaces in their own life and kind of showing the way of how to do that. And I have some planets there. I have some personal planets in Scorpio. And so there's also a further emphasis on that energy and on how I do that in my own life and consequently garnering some amount of visibility for that. And if that can be in any way helpful to other people and help other people also then be like, yes, we want to fuck the system and we want transformation and we aren't settling for anything less. I'm all about it. Yes. Oh, what a beautiful note to end on. Finally, I know people are going to want to know more about you. Where can folks find you? What is the best way for them to get more of your fuck the system energy? Definitely on Twitter, which my handle is at Gina Cadlick, J-E-A-N-N-A-K-A-D-L-E-C. And I'm also on Instagram at the same handle. Fabulous. And you've got that amazing Astrology for Writers newsletter. Again, highly recommend it. Honestly, I highly recommend anything that has Gina Cadlick's name on it. That's how I feel. Gina, thank you so much for being here. It's such a great honor to know you. It is such a pleasure watching you spread your weird wings. And I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you so much, Pam. The feeling is so deeply mutual. That's it for the show. Thank you again to Gina Kedlick for her cosmic boldness and her reticle heart. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Drop us an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. We always love hearing from you, and you just might make it on the witch wire. The Witch Wave is produced, written, and recorded by me, Pam Grossman. 
This episode was edited by Rachel Jacobs. Thank you, Rachel, and myself. Our theme music is the song Hand and Eye by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman, Lara Antal, and Cece Pascal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website and now buy Witchwave merch at witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and give us lots of sparkly stars. It really does make a difference and helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WitchWavePod, and you can check out my witch emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. Please consider picking up my book, Waking the Witch, which is available everywhere now. And if you want even more WitchWave or you would just like to support the show, please do join us over on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash witchwave. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave. <laughs> <laughs>